0: Hi, this is Anthony
1: Esposito from the infamous Ace Freely Band. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hi, this is Bruce Cooley.
0: Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey everyone, this is Dave Manichetti from YNT. This is Dave Star from Wildstar. What's up, this is Doc Coyle from the band Bit. Alright, this is Jason from uh, Kings of Modesty. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Age of Evil. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life
2: of Agony.
3: Hey, what's up? This is Mercedes from
2: I'm Rasmus Gruberg from New Keepers of the Water Towers. Hey, this is Tim Ripper-Owen.
4: Hey, this is Steven from I Wrestled a Bear Once. Hey, this is Tara. And this is Ivy. And we're half of Kitty.
0: Hey, this is Wolf from the Chariot. This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hi, this is Robert Flushman.
2: Hey, everybody, this is Bobby Rock. Hey, this is Zach from Nonpoint. Hey, this is Frank from New Revolution. And you're listening to... Mars Attacks. Yeah. Hey, this is Robbie Crane from Rat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Go get it. Hey, what's up? This is Joe from Misery. Hey, this is John
0: from Misery. Hey, this is Dan Lorenzo from Hades, Nonfiction, The Curse, and My Horrible Solo Music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Good hey, this is
2: Guy from Avon, and you're listening to Mars Attacks, Big
0: Rocket. Hey, this is Ron Bumble, Fall of Guns and Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Uh, hey, what's up? This is Liam from Cancer Bat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
2: Hey, what's up? This is Jose from Bonnet by Blood, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody,
0: what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. How you doing? This is Frankie Benelli from Quiet Riot, letting you know that Victor rocks on Mars Attack Radio.
2: Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
4: Welcome, one and all, to Episode 19 of Mars Attacks. I'm your host, Victor. And before getting into things, if you're listening via Blabbermouth or via uh, Brave Words or anything like that, any other page that may have posted uh, this segment or this show for you to listen to online, you can download the actual episode from marceltaxradio.com and listen to it at your leisure. You don't have to sit there in front of your PC or Mac to listen to everything that uh, this show has to offer. You can download it and listen to it uh, whenever you'd like. In any event, this episode will consist of an episode with Jose from Bonded by Blood and Blitz from Overkill. The Bonded by Blood segment, again, like the last few uh, episodes, I do have to you know, uh, apologize to Jose and apologize to Toledo from Earake who made this happen. Unfortunately, with all of the personal things that have been going on uh, in my life, I haven't been able to um, put this episode out any sooner. This episode should have obviously come out sometime in July, and we're here, you know, in the middle of September. Unfortunately, you know, things sort of uh, creep up on you that you don't expect, and you know, it just doesn't work out the way that you uh, hope for. Uh, in any event, this is episode 17. I laid it all out on the table there. Um, Anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to get into a little music by Bonded by Blood. Right now we have Genetic Encryption off of the new album Exile to Earth. Uh, what we're going to do is get into the track 600 After the Bomb, 600 AB, which is the, the first track off of the album before jumping into the interview with Jose. get asked about the band's name
2: uh, almost every interview so <laughs> it's already over like I don't know how many times I could tell you but uh, we always get at that
4: okay does it ever get to the point where you think shit you know why didn't we think of something else or you know just sort of part of the uh, the, the nature of the beast nowadays <laughs>
2: well it's just kind of we stick to our guns we're used to it um of course, it goes through your mind here and there, like, man, we should have thought of something else, blah blah blah. But at <laughs> the same time, when we were younger. We really, we really loved the name. We stuck to it. We never thought it was going to get to the point it got now, where it's like, you know, we never, when we first started the band, it wasn't like, oh man, we're we're gonna we're gonna get signed. Our name's going to be everywhere. It was more like, a, yeah, cool. It's, it's, we really like this. There's no other bands around us that are playing this at this time,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, it's going to kind of represent something. And uh, we're glad we stuck with it, and uh, as much as that question gets asked, uh, we're
4: cool with it. Okay, cool. And um, I've heard a lot of people complain, or not a lot of people, I've actually interviewed other bands in the past, uh, and they've mentioned that sites like MySpace and YouTube, and uh, along with you know downloading off of the net, that they've all affected bands in general. Now... From what I've read online, you guys actually were signed based on the music that you guys um, were able to post on MySpace. So maybe you have a slightly different take on whether MySpace is really a detriment or whether it is something that can really help expand, you know, uh, bands and get them to places where maybe they couldn't have, you know, ten years ago. Let's say.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, when we when we were starting this band, uh, the whole MySpace thing was exploding. Uh, I think uh, there was a MySpace music barely coming up, and and everybody bands from around the world were able to post uh, their music. It, it wasn't more of a, a trading or sending stuff to labels anymore. It was more like listen to my music here, listen to my music there. And as a new band, uh, it, it was uh, very helpful. I think uh, you, you, you don't you didn't need to ship anything. I mean, people from around the world could hear your music and. In an instant, instead of you know, oh, let me package this music and send it to this label or send it to this guy. Hopefully, he likes it. It was right. more of a like listen, I could listen to something now, and if I like it, I'll buy it or, or whatnot. And um, so for us, it was very very helpful. I could see where established bands seem like oh man, or bigger bigger bands that are used to the old way was more like a oh, like it's really hurting the heart and and whatnot. But uh, I mean, the times is a digital age, and you got to kind of go with the times. I know this. It's going to be a point where uh, uh, the CD is going to be obsolete and everything's going to be kind of digital. So uh, right. I mean, we're cool with it. We're fine. Um, hopefully, we're still around and it doesn't break everything down. So um, we're going to play music till till forever. I mean, it helped us, and uh, I know it's helped a lot of bands around. So we're no we're, we're what's it called? We're not uh I guess you could say mad at the world for downloading or listening shit through uh, through through downloaded substance and um uh, we're all for it of course there's pros and cons, but to me there's more pro- pros right now for a smaller band than cons
4: mm-hmm. gotcha okay um why did you decide to put bonded by blood together
2: uh it was It was something that uh I needed to to kind of feed in my own personal uh music um taste i guess i i was really into punk growing up I, I still am and um uh i was getting a lot into uh metal and and whatnot i think the first time i ever listened to an actual thrash album i was about 12 mm-hmm. um and it was and it was due to to um listening to a lot of punk and that got me into crossover i was in a lot of punk and crossover bands um right at the time, at the time in my area, that was, that was the, the biggest thing, like, oh, listen to punk and blah, 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 but there was no, no sort of, like, old school metal sounding bands around, there was a lot of new, uh, more, like, 90s sounding kind of stuff around my, um, my neck of the woods in, uh, in LA, and, um, I, 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 wasn't listening to that stuff, I was really listening to, to that old school sounding kind of music, um, I, I, got out of the punk bands i was in and i I wanted to do something like that or similar to the bands i was getting into um it was kind of hard uh finding other people my age that actually listened to that kind of stuff right Uh, so once i did it was it was really cool and uh i'm glad i i uh i found them and that was my reason for making a, a thrash band i guess you could say
4: Gotcha okay, so you were more or less rebelling against the uh, orange county sound that was becoming popular in in the nineties and just sort of looking for something different in other words,
2: yeah, yeah, of course um i I've always been a fan of 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 the old school sounds i uh, I don't know why it was that I didn't like bands like let's say that were popular then like the when I was growing up like uh corn or stuff like that i just that wasn't my thing, you know I right didn't I, I I once I got a taste of like say Iron Maiden or or Angel which stuff like that I was already like wow these guys are really good musicians they it sounds really good it sounds like it, it took time to make and whatnot and uh, that was what I really wanted to do and play and and um, it 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 got my I got my fix I guess when we when we started the band
4: right right I got you and the interesting thing there too that you pointed out with some of these other bands. Um, At that time when Thrash was coming out and everything, maybe the lines were a little bit more blurred and maybe more ambiguous between, you know, maybe hardcore punk, Thrash, because they all sort of fed off of one another, you know, whereas they weren't as commercial as maybe they were in the 90s, so you know, it was almost easier if you were sort of listening to one thing. Um, Although maybe your friends didn't like it, you were a closet fan of a thrash band because, you know, it still wasn't that far removed from, you know, the hardcore scene or the punk scene.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course.
4: Um, When it comes to uh, writing, what do you guys do? Do you guys write as a team? Does one person handle the bulk of the work? How do you guys... uh, uh, Proceed doing that.
2: Well, it's, it's it's a mixture of a lot of things. Uh, sometimes it's it's a whole team effort on, on certain songs, but sometimes it's more of a one person does the whole kind of thing, and uh, and we listen to it, and if we like it, we keep it. But uh, uh most of the time, we we like to try out different formulas, different things. So not all songs exact sound exactly the same. Not not both albums sound exactly the same or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a mix of everything. Uh, I think. The group, the group thing is what we do the most.
4: Okay, one um, recording, uh, Exile to Earth. Um, how did your experience differ in the studio as opposed to recording Feed the Beast?
2: Oh, it was way different. I, I think it's it's like night and day. I mean, when we went to do Feed the Beast uh, we didn't really know how it was to be in a big studio recording an album. It was just going in there and kind of letting the producer do his thing. And we we're like, okay, not really having, we had our input and whatnot, but it wasn't like, oh man, let's change this. Let's fix this. Let's do that. It was just like, we have a songs how they are. And that's it. When we came to, when we came to do, um, Exile to earth, it was a whole different story. We, we went in there prepared knowing exactly what we wanted, uh, uh having to experiment in the studio taking our time to do stuff instead of rushing everything
4: mm-hmm. um so
2: it was it was really cool and we we got lucky to have a, a cool producer his name's ralph patlin and uh he let us kind of take the wheel and do what we wanted and and uh he told us here and there um little experiments we could do and but if we didn't like it he didn't push it and uh i think he got the best out of us and i'm glad we got him and and x came out really good because of him.
4: Cool. So th- there was definitely, you know, you guys went into the studio prepared and you had something in mind that you guys wanted to complete on this album, like sort of evolve or better from the first album. What was that again? Um, you guys definitely went into the studio with, you know, something in mind, a goal in mind um, to maybe better certain aspects um, from Feed the Beast to the new album, Exile to Earth.
2: Yeah, of course. Um as musicians, we, we wanted to grow. We wanted to do something. We wanted to top, feed the beast, big time. That's always our our um, from ever since we started recording from our first demo, to second demo. We always wanted to top that last recording. Uh, so yeah, once we went in to do Exile to Earth, a whole goal was let's let's do something bigger and better. And I think we achieved that with Exile to Earth.
4: Okay, um, you originally actually also played guitar in the band. Uh, you decided to give that up early on, from what I've uh, read online. Um, why exactly did you decide to not continue as a rhythm guitar player?
2: Uh, this was really early in the band's um, okay, uh, I guess history <laughs> uh, when when I found uh, Alex Lee, the, the, our lead guitarist. Uh, I had just coming I had just come out of a, a crossover band and uh his skills and my skills were way different um right nobody nobody like once i once i saw him play i was like wow like i can't keep up with this guy um (laughs) and yeah it was really hard and uh nobody wanted to be vocalist i in the beginning i didn't even want to be a vocalist it was just more like i want you know when you're a kid and you you dream of being a guitarist and like oh i want to be this rock guitarist or heavy metal guitarist and that's what i wanted to do that was my dream but um (laughs) i stepped up and did the vocals and uh Luckily we found Juan later, a year after, and um, he he took over the rhythm guitar duties. Um, I'm glad he did because he keeps up with Alex fine.
4: (laughs) Cool. Um, You guys also um, just welcomed a new bass player into the band, uh, Jerry Garcia. Um, What was that transition like?
2: I mean, it was kind of hard to let go of Ruben. He's, he's been a friend of the band forever. I mean, he's more than a bandmate. He was a, a brother, but mm-hmm. due to personal reasons, like, he had to leave. And, and, well, luckily as well, we had Jerry as a person that had done merch for us and done roadie work for us before.
3: Mm-hmm. He knew a
2: couple of the, of the Feed the Beast stuff already. So it wasn't a big, long search on a on a um, basis and uh he, we already knew him as a friend. He, We knew that he had done tour experience with other bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew we were going to get along with him, so it was a perfect match.
4: There seems to be a lot of good young bands on Eric at the moment. Uh, good young thrash bands, I should say. Um, uh, yeah. How often do you guys get compared to these other bands, and do you feel that the comparisons are justified?
2: I think we get compared all the time. It's, It's most of like this new generation playing thrash, so it's bound to happen. Um, A lot of people tend to, I think, bash the new genre, saying, like, oh, it's something that's been done before. It's a new generation. You guys should come up with your own style and whatnot and whatnot. Um, But uh, I feel uh, sometimes we get more, uh, what's it called, good comparisons compared to the bad ones.
4: Right. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, if if people are worried about people copying one another, they should have stopped in the late 70s. So, you know, nothing, yeah, exactly. nothing's really new anymore. I mean, obviously, you're going to have bands that like yourselves that do things better than, than other bands that are out there. So... Um, so, so, you guys, does it bug you when people try to throw, you know, that whole uh, retro thrash or new thrash like thing at you guys? Or you guys just prefer to be known as a thrash band?
2: Uh, you know, it doesn't bother us at all. Whatever people want to label us, they're going to label us. Um, uh, we we've grown tough skin, as you can say. Uh, we we try we don't try to label ourselves. Into to anything. Uh, we play the music we, we, we want to because we love it. Uh, it's always fashion. We, like I said, we, we, we're we going to stick to our guns. Uh, we stick mm-hmm. to our guns with the name. We're going to stick to our guns with the style. Uh, to us, it's just in, uh, new bands playing the genre we love, which is thrash. Uh, like you said yourself, uh, if people were worried about copying each other, they should have stopped a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not afraid to do that. I mean, you can't really be original, like super original anymore, unless you throw all kinds of stuff in there. Like we're gonna be a some sort of like jazz fusion, <laughs> piano playing, all kinds of trumpets, and and then it's just gonna not sound great or nothing I like at least, you know. So we're right. doing what we're doing, and and we love it. And if people want to say oh, rehash, then you're not into the music. It, you just really have to get the music to be like, yeah, this is really good.
4: Right. I got gotcha. you. Um how many of the new songs are you guys going to be playing live?
2: Well, right now we're actually doing like four new of the new ones, but once the album is released, we're, we're going to try to do a little bit more. I don't know exactly how many, but I know it's going to be more than we're playing now.
4: Right. Well, the album is still isn't going to be released till next month, so that does make sense too. You don't also want to uh go out and play and, you know, not have people know the songs either.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
4: So, um, you're going to be playing dates a little later on in the year where you'll have bands like, um, Overkill, Forbidden, and Exodus on these, uh, on these same shows. Uh, what's it like for you guys to take part in shows where some of these legendary thrash bands are also, um, on the bill?
2: Well, you know, it's a big honor, uh, you, you grow up listening to these bands and, and, uh, all of a sudden, uh, you're on the tour with them. It's like, whoa, are you serious? Uh, you would have told me this years back. I would have called you a liar, you know? Um, right. It, it, it's, it's a big honor to be playing with such legends, and uh, I'm happy we're doing them. Uh, not anybody could say, oh, we're playing with our... our um, not any band could say that they've they played with their uh, with their heroes, so to us, it's a big accomplishment.
4: Gotcha, okay. And um, uh, recently, or especially recently the term the Big Four has been thrown around a lot. And depending on who you speak to, uh, they're either bothered by that term or they welcome that term. Um, Do you think it's fair that groups like Overkill or Exodus or Testament aren't usually thrown into that Big Four group?
2: I mean, I I, I embrace the Big Four. They did what they did for the genre,
4: and, and
2: they made it out there. But, I mean, if I could include... Other bands like you said, Overkill, Exodus, and uh, Testament, some of the big other smaller bands that were kind of that made a big impact as well. I right. would, I mean, they 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 did what they did and they did it well, mm-hmm. and they got the genre out there as well. But I I also understand what the big four did for the genre, so I, like I said, I embrace it.
4: Gotcha. Okay, it was interesting. I asked uh, Blitz from Overkill that question, and he had no problem with it because he said that it only really amounted to album sales. And I also asked Chuck Billy the same question, and he hated it. He said that, uh, <laughs> yeah, he said that he felt it was it was a stupid term that, uh, you know, what what's testament then, you know, when they go to, um, you know, try to play at a festival. Are they, you know, uh, are they five? Are they six? You know, and he was saying, yeah, you know, yeah. what, what do you say to promoters? Hey, I can't get the big four, but I can get six, seven, and eight for you, you know?
2: <laughs> That's funny.
4: Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, Speaking of festivals, you guys are going to be playing some festivals next month over here in Europe. Um, Is that the first time you guys are playing festival dates? Um, And how stoked are you guys at playing, you know, um, uh, over in the U.K. at the Bloodstock and and some other festivals?
2: Well, actually, yeah, it is the first time we actually played big festivals. We've played Europe before, but never – anything like this, uh, we're playing Brutal Salt in Czech Republic, we're doing the blood thing, and it's a big big honor, I mean, playing main stage with bands like Cannibal Corpse, bands like Twisted Sister, and uh, stuff like that, it, it's just like, wow, you know, this is this is really cool, and like I said, especially playing the main stage, we're really, really excited, and, and already like, super stoked to, to play this show already, I mean, it's almost here, and, and we've been waiting so long for it, and uh, we're happy.
4: Cool. Any band in particular that you're looking forward to checking out, or do you guys not have the time to actually check any bands out after before you guys play?
2: I'm actually really, it's going to be funny, but I'm really, really, really stoked to see uh, Twisted Sister. I've never seen them. They're legends, and uh, that'd be amazing. I've seen a lot of bands on the, on the, um, the Bills. Uh, mm-hmm. Here, I mean, not not in such a big stage, but like I've seen Cannibal Corpse, I've seen Suffocation, bands like that. So, so to see a band like Sister Sister, I even played in the same stage with them. I, it's like a big deal for me. I mean, I've heard them growing up. It's just like wow. I mean, I wouldn't mind watching them.
4: Cool. I actually got to see them uh, at their first show where they got back together again. Back in. Uh, 2001 in New York, they actually did a benefit for, uh, uh, 9-11 and, uh, and they actually headlined. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to see that and they, and they were great then. And that was just, you know, the first show after the first official show after like 20 some odd years. So now that they've got, you know, um, you know, they're, they've rehearsed well enough and they've been playing these songs, you know, festival after festival, I'm sure, uh, uh, they're. I'm sure they're a finely-tuned machine by this point. Yeah, yeah. So. I can't
2: wait, man. It should be a good show.
4: Yeah, it should, should be awesome. Um, what expectations do you guys have for the remainder of the year outside of the release of the album and uh, the touring? Do you have anything else that you're looking forward to that's going to take place before the end of the year?
2: Um, actually, we're really booked from August till December, so that's what we have in mind. I mean, I hope to uh come out with some stuff that uh, we threw some ideas in there about coming out with a comic book of some sort for because we have a comic strip coming out with the album, but an actual right. like full comic book uh, that's what I'm really hoping to have. I'm, we're a big comic book fans, so if we actually could have a series of comic books uh, leading into the ne- to the next album, that would be really cool. So that's what I'm really looking forward to.
4: Cool, Th- that would actually be really neat, and that also sort of plays back to those early. Um... You know thrash bands where a lot of them did have you know similar to the imagery that you guys have a lot of very comic book type influenced uh you know graphics and even within the albums and the booklets and everything you had all that so
3: yeah,
4: yes. you know you you guys are uh, really taking it on a hundred percent yeah um where can people go to find out about the band
2: well of course we have myspace uh Bonnet Blitz. I mean, myspace.com slash bonded by blood. Uh, you could go get us at our Facebook, which is uh, facebook.com uh, slash official bonded by blood. Uh, we also have our own forum on thrashunlimited.com. Uh, you can check us out there and talk about bonded by blood all you want. Talk shit. Uh, talk <laughs> nice about us. It doesn't matter. We're cool. We're always good with good or bad feedback. Whatever you want to say, we're cool with it.
4: Very cool. And the album comes out. Um, in August, the exact dates are the 12th and the 16th, if I'm not mistaken. It's the 10th and the 15th. All right. So my bad. I'm sorry. 10th and 15th. Uh, that's okay.
2: Hey, what's up? This is Jose from Bonnet by Blood, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
4: Death Machine by Bonded by Blood. Again, coming off of Exile to Earth. If you haven't checked the album out, go out and get it. It is a very, very good new album. Very good thrash album. You know, there's a lot of different uh, quote-unquote new thrash or retro thrash bands. And um, as opposed to maybe, maybe I'm getting a little nitpicky here, but this has been an ongoing discussion that I've had with a few people recently where... Um, Perhaps a band like The Sword. You know, I think that they have a few cool songs, but what does that band have to offer that, you know, a plethora of other bands within that whole stoner subgenre haven't already offered or haven't done better, in my opinion? Um, With a band like Bonded by Blood or Municipal Waste or so on and so forth, you know, with these new thrash bands, you know, there are a lot of people that are bitching about it. But I think some of these bands are really cool. Um, I do think that Bonded by Blood does, you know, they do bring up, obviously, influences from Exodus. But there are influences from Megadeth and Testament throughout their music. I think it is, you know, pretty obvious when you listen to the whole album. But I think they do it in a good way where they it's a right combination or it's a good combination. Uh, to bring things to the table in a interesting manner, I just think some of these again going back to the sword and I know it's a different type of metal. Um, it's just more of the same. It's just just sort of regurgitating more of the same stuff that we've been doing in the past, you know. So I don't know. I just don't find it as appealing. Uh, anyway, the next segment is going to consist of. An interview that I did with Blitz from Overkill. Um, this is an edited version of the interview because uh, once me and Blitz started talking about New Jersey, things took off. <laughs> and we had to focus on the music, and uh, I had to cut down uh, quite a few minutes away from this interview. Same thing happened uh, with Bumblebee, I guess, it's something about us talkative Jersey guys. Uh, In any event, this was recorded right before Ironbound was supposed to come out. Another great album that has come out this year. One of the best albums, in my opinion, to have come out this year. And I have no issue whatsoever of only playing songs that came off of this album because the album is that strong. It is one of the, not only better Overkill albums, but one of the better albums to come out this year. Uh, I was lucky enough to see Overkill on Killfest, Uh, earlier in the year when they were over here in Spain. Got to meet up with Bobby and with Ron Lipnicki, the drummer. Had an absolute blast. And, you know, again, there's this whole argument that a lot of people, well, there's an argument that I've read online where people have said that, you know, older bands need to get out of the way and let these newer bands, you know, headline and, you know, take up longer time slots and this and that. You know, I think they honestly need to put, you know, and this is a loose translation from Spanish, you need to put your balls out on the table. You know, you need to show why you should be headlining, you know, why you should be out there. You know, there's groups like, say, Machine Head that have slowly risen through the ranks, you know, to get to maybe a, you know, headlining status or, you know, the number one support act on a big tour with, say, like a Metallica or a band of you know that stature Um, I saw overkill and I have never seen the crowd react in the same manner to another band here in Spain bar none no other band and we were in that setting and every everyone was moving it was like a sea of people you had no control over your body whatsoever everyone was getting into the music new songs old songs didn't matter They had everyone going. And again, I've seen countless bands here. And without a doubt, they were the one band to really get everyone's blood going and everyone into the music. And, you know, a newer band, they had a lot of cool newer bands playing, you know, opening up for them on the bill. Um, But they didn't come close to even matching or even coming to a tenth of what. You know, Overkill was offering. You know, and that—that's the thing. You know, I—I I would love to go out and support a new band and say, you know, damn, this is, this is the new thing. You know, but um, was interesting a conversation that I had with Blitz at that show. He mentioned um, discussing one of the one of the other bands. He said, you know, they're an energetic band live, but what they're playing, you know, I've heard a bunch of different times, you know, I've already heard Headfield and Metallica, and I'm sorry, uh, Headfield and Mustaine sing about this stuff, or write these riffs, you know, what, what different, what can they bring to the table, what can these new bands bring to the table, you know, and, and honestly, you know, think back. In the last 10, 15, 20 years, and I don't want to sound like, you know, a geezer or date myself or whatever, but what bands really stick out? Can you really say, you know, shit, they, they really changed the way, you know, things are done or how people are playing or whatnot, you know? Uh, maybe the last band to do something like that was maybe System of a Down, you know? Um, what other bands are out there, you know? I. Uh, I don't know lamb of God maybe um, but but it, it is almost further than what other bands have done before them with lamb of God's you know case um, so so you know just something to think about you know who do you feel is a newer band that does deserve one of these bigger slots and that brings something you know different to the table a you know, a live show that absolutely blows everyone away, or their music is so innovative, you know that, you know, it blows people away. Uh, but similar to what Jose said in his interview, you know, what do you, what are you doing then? A jazz fusion mix with this or with that? You know, um, what do you guys feel? You know, drop me a line, send me an email to uh, Victor at MarsAttacksRadio.com, and let me know your thoughts or you know, post it up there on the um, website itself. Uh, In any event, let's get into a little overkill. We're listening to the Green and the Black off of Ironbound. And once this wraps up, we'll jump into the interview with Blitz. On, on the phone, we have Bobby Blitz from Overkill, lead singer extraordinaire and uh, part-time uh, home, home improvement guru. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, hello and hola. Bobby Blitz from Jersey talking. Excellent. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the album Ironbound, which comes out in the States. On the ninth of February, and here in Europe, on the twenty-ninth of January. Um, what was the recording process for Ironbound like?
0: You know, relatively simple. The band has been around. Obviously, uh, if you're a metalhead, you know, or, or you're living in a cave. If you don't, <laughs> uh, but we've been uh, we've been around for a twenty-five year period, and you know, with that comes process. And what I mean by process is how we learn to make it right for ourselves. And what we like to do is a combination of what I call old school, new school, and that's uh, the old school getting in a room together and making that happen. Uh, The new school using the technology at our disposal, meaning, uh, you know, Internet technology, uh, uh, sending MP3s back and forth, me being able to record at my place, getting it to Didi. So it's a combination of both. And the assembly process happened... Right after we got off the road, Overkill Exodus, March 2009. uh, You know, within a month, we were assembling the uh, the drum tracks. Uh, As far as the writing, that always is taking place. That's I don't think there's ever a time when there's uh, you know there's a downtime with regard to writing. So that started happening as soon as Immortalis ended. uh, Ironbound started taking shape with with regard to the riff.
4: Okay, so uh, obviously um you and Dee and everyone else while you're on the road, you guys are always uh, pretty much have your hands full just trying to come up with uh, what's next for the band.
0: you know what i think I, I think that you know if you're in this business and you know do this for a living or a love of you're always aware of whatever ideas are coming through, so okay. you, you don't miss it i, I it's It's a sin to miss an idea or to forget it uh that's that's the uh, the cardinal sin of, of, of uh of recording that I missed an idea or I forgot the idea right. so it's really about being prepared to uh you know uh bookmark that idea uh on a small tape recorder on mm-hmm. a uh you know a digital device. Uh, jotting it down by you know on a pen for, by pen for instance, right. so I think it's really it's all about not letting the idea go by. So yeah, I guess everybody's constantly writing, but it's never uh, a painful process because I think if you're in that mindset that I just described about not losing ideas, then you're just aware, and that's really what it's supposed to be about.
4: Right. Okay. Um, how would you stack Ironbound up uh, against the other Overkill albums? Uh, pretty hard to be
0: objective at this point because it's new and exciting. And you know, gotcha. one of our our processes or, or procedures or philosophies is to is to really live in the day. I mean it's you know, it's great that we have an historical end to what overkill's all about, that it goes back a couple of decades that we've been part of this scene since since you were living in Jersey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, but I think the idea is is that uh, present day value is always the most important. So Ironbound sure. feels uh... important based on present day so hard to rank you know give me a year um... gotcha you know but the excitement is there man i i i feel the thrash and bash and beat up on this one and there's also a nice progressive guitar line that's wove through the whole thing through through the the hand and mind of dave linsk uh... and some you know really exciting drum work on it so you you put it all together and you have something that is uh... quite strictly overkill 2010 and again exciting
4: right and and I think that's a credit definitely to the songwriting as you've said you guys have tried keeping things you know in the now and sort of taking things from the past where not every album sounds you know exactly the same you could definitely feel different you know influences uh coming in during different stages and different albums that you guys have put out Well I think so and I think one of the keys is
0: to You know, even if others don't necessarily or are not aware of our evolution, we have to be aware of that evolution. Right, Uh, and that excites the chemistry; it puts it up a notch. Um, You know, I I think one of the cool things about ironbound is that what I do know about it is that it it has a lot of those elements, but it feels like it's deeply rooted in the past, like it came from somewhere. Um, and, And let's say that is the past, but the key is to reinvent that past, not to rehash it, because rehashing right. becomes boring. Gotcha. Uh, re- reinvention becomes a task at hand, uh, right. a goal. So I think that that's what we accomplished with Ironbound. I mean, I hear the new wave of British heavy metal on Bring Me the Night, and I hear some maiden influence, and I hear some you know, things that we loved as kids. But at the end of the day, it's got an overkill stamp on it, and the right. stamp says uh, Founded in 2010.
4: Gotcha. And and that's another interesting point where the uh, supposed, um, how do they put this, the the retro thrash bands that are coming out now, that instead of sort of trying to evolve the sound that was invented by bands like Overkill, they're sort of rehashing the the sound. And it, I don't know, in my opinion, it just doesn't come across as authentic or as good as, you know, any of the originals or what you guys are currently doing.
0: Well, you know, I'll tell you something. I, you know, I agree to a certain extent, but there, there always has to be a starting place on a journey. Right. And if, if that starting place is now here, I mean, obviously we didn't invent putting the stamp on it. We came around to understanding that, and it takes time. You know, I think Feel the Fire was an original record, but I know it came out of it was cut out of that Maiden Killers esque era, but then we kind of coupled it, or the X factor for us with regard to originality. Was you know a deep love of uh, British and and uh, and New York punk rock, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right? So all of a sudden you start marrying these two genres together, and you have something unique, and that becomes uh, let's say our jumping off point for originality. And I think that what will happen with a lot of the newer bands, because there's some awesome talent out there in the new bands, right. mm-hmm. will be the jumping off point. That eventually it has to become. Uh, yours, as opposed to what has uh, preceded you, gotcha. and and these guys though are you know they're instrumentally, um, you know they're they're responsible to some degree for this rehash of thrash uh, right. and the re-interest um, in it at a high level because you know you don't reincorporate forty-five-year-old thrash fans into your fold. You get twenty-two <laughs> and twenty-five-year-olds. That's how an older band grows. Right. So, you know, if Warbringer's your favorite band, you see Warbringer and you go, jeez, they just played with Overkill. Now I get the whole thing. I understand it now. Right. <laughs> so, so I think it's kind of cool for us, and I think it's kind of cool for them that there's, uh, let's say, uh, two waves of uh, value here.
4: Gotcha. Yeah, so you're definitely seeing both the uh, younger crowds mixing in uh, with some of the diehards that you've had over the years.
0: Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, we have a, we have a, you know, a green and black army that follows us around and, you know, that, and, and that's the beauty of, of this community is that it always was a community. I don't really think that there's many other genres that can say that maybe the hardcore genre. Right. Um, I don't think there's a pop genre that can say that because that's disposable. Um, sure. But, you know, you look at this and it's transcended uh, everything three generations Yep. of of people, <laughs> and the fathers bringing sons and daughters um, yep. to shows now, and it's uh, you know it's amazing, and it's somewhere in between lies these newer thrash bands, and it's really really kind of a cool thing to see that it's it's transcended uh, this many generations and and thirty years for Didi and myself personally.
4: Right, absolutely. Um, the name Ironbound does that happen to have? anything to do with the section of Newark that carries the same name?
0: Well, you're, you're a Jersey kid. I mean, you, you go down to the parkway and you're heading towards Seaside, man. You know, you pass by and says Ironbound next exit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose, you know, uh, to some degree we've always, um, I don't know, let's say, thought locally and gla- uh, acted globally. <laughs> 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 so, so, I mean, we're Jersey guys and New York guys through and through. Um, and I think it's probably part of the appeal is that we're that goddamn selfish. But it's... Uh, sure it is, but I think figuratively uh, we're tied to the scene or bound to it by the, the metal ribbons that, uh, that bind that neighborhood to Newark.
4: Gotcha. Okay. After 25 years that you already mentioned that you guys have been together, and 30, you and Dee. how difficult is it for you guys to put the set list together?
0: Oh, come on. This is awful. I mean, everybody gets <laughs> four darks. <laughs> put the covers up on the wall where they land and if anybody crosses the line the next guy gets his four darts <laughs> I mean, it's 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 pretty tough um, you know, obviously uh, I guess there, I, I always call it when we're putting the set together classic kill and it's uh, there's some stuff that uh, I suppose needs to be heard because, you know, we get out uh, like some areas in Spain that we're coming to, for instance uh, on this next tour Um, we haven't played in a few years. Uh, Some areas in the States, we haven't played in a few years. Uh, Some areas in France, we haven't played in a few years. So we have to kind of mix it up with that old stuff. Uh, But I think that Ironbound uh, specifically is is screaming to be played live. Um, I think it's really the X factor on this record. It's the key to the reinvention is that, you know, if it's rooted in the old, we weren't a touring band back then. We were a band that was just formulating. We've toured now for a 25-year period. When we finished um, touring with Exodus, we brought that touring into the studio with us. So it has that feel to be played. So to, to choose a set list is going to be tough, but there has to be three to five Ironbound cuts in there.
4: Okay. Are there any cuts off of Ironbound specifically that you know that are going into the set? Oh, for sure the title track. Okay. um and and we're
0: always big on you know there's it's funny because when we when we title songs i mean like many bands do they get um they get a mock title first and the green and black was always called opener even when it was like 11 minutes long right <laughs> so, i think it clocked in somewhere at about 8:15 or 8:20 now so. right
4: um, how often do you guys look at uh, rotating up the songs in the set list? Do you, do you do that from show to show, or do you just keep more or less a solid foundation and do that throughout the uh, entire tour?
0: Majority solid, but there's there's ones that slide in and out, uh, and that's just for for the band to have a kick. Ah, come on, let's just do it. You know, right. one of those kind of things. You know, you have to. It has to be fun. I mean, you know, it's obviously serious business during that ninety minutes that you take the the musical end of it very seriously, but you know. <laughs> I think my wife says it best. You you always look like a kid up there smiling at the circus. Right. So so it has to be kind of a balance of the two. But we'll slide stuff in and out just for our own own amusement, our own pleasure. And I think a lot of people who follow the band, uh, like you said, the diehards uh, earlier in the interview, really get a kick out of something obscure every now and then.
4: Right. Is there anything obscure that you're looking forward to playing on this tour or you want to keep that hushed up for now? I'll keep it
0: under my hat, but yes, there is. Okay, cool. Yeah, yes, something you do something nobody'd ever expect.
4: Yeah. Okay, cool. Um I was actually lucky enough to see you guys at the New York Steel Benefit Show back in November of uh, '01 after sure. the whole 9/11 incident took place. Um that show actually holds a special place for me because I actually unfortunately witnessed what took place in Manhattan firsthand. So uh that concert meant a lot to me one of the things that stood out the most during the entire show was hearing you guys play um in union we stand um what do you remember of that show specifically and of that song after all these years
0: you know it was uh there was dual emotions during that show um it's uh it's unique to be in a situation where you're heartbroken uh yet uh Protectively aggressive at the same time. Right. I think that that's what ran through many of uh, New Yorkers uh, and and locals and Americans uh, and maybe even the world for that matter. Right. Um, during that time, but I think, like you had said, you had witnessed it firsthand. Um, I remember going. Uh, I wasn't in, in the city when it happened, um, uh, but I remember getting to Jersey City uh, within days to uh, to see what was happening. It was still smoldering. You could still smell. Right uh, everything awfully i had obviously I had friends in the buildings, uh both buildings, I'm sure as you did, both towers mm-hmm. and actually number seven too um but they um I think it affected those who saw it or witnessed it um deeply and and that concert took off relatively quick after that i think you know nine eleven uh and then the concert was in November, as i remember
3: right, right, mm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I mean, within weeks, and it, and it was a benefit for the uh, for the widows of the paramedics, firemen, and, and uh, police who had lost their lives, uh, you know, in that. So, you know, I think doing In Union We Stand, as it was written as, uh, you know, by kids who had, you know, committed themselves uh, for life to a scene, uh, to see that trend... <sighs> To see that transfer across more than a scene into, let's say, world history with regard to that concert, uh, it was a good feeling to do that. I mean, that was, uh, that, that was a unique show, seeing all New York and New Jersey bands up there uh, pitching in uh, for that, um, and the response of the audience. And it really felt, uh, obviously, uh, you were there, that in Union we, we do stand. And that right. was, uh, I think that was very necessary.
4: Right, ab- absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Really, really a heart-wrenching moment, and especially that song, especially at, at, at that particular time.
4: You and Dee Dee have actually been in the band since around 1980. What's made your partnership work after all these years? Jeez, I,
2: I don't
0: know. I suppose it's, uh... I mean, it's lasted more than most things, more than some countries. <laughs> right? <laughs> the... Uh, I I think we put each other first. Um, You know, I I think that everything takes care of itself if the people are taken care of. Um, You know, if if I'm thinking in terms of only overkill and and, uh, each of us is a tool to the other, I don't think that that works because eventually we're tools out. Uh, I think if you think of it more from the human perspective and the person comes before everything else, uh, the other person, the other partner in the relationship, then... Everything that follows that is easy, uh, because you know you can always write if you're with somebody you like to write with. Uh, I mean, I I suppose uh, it it could be disputed that you know Lennon McCartney wrote great songs because they were at each other's throats at times. Right. (laughs) But for Didi (laughs) and myself, I think it's worked on this level for what we do because it's really about who we are as people, um, and that. Those people come before anything else, and, and then everything seems to fall into place. And it's obviously worked for us because we've, you know, we've never not toured, we've never not released, we've never not had a deal, you know. So it, it's uh, obviously that philosophy works for us.
4: Okay. Over the years, you guys have had a lot of different lineup changes. Are there any former members that you still run into or have a good relationship with? Or is it sort of a thing when they're out of the band, there's no longer any type of communication?
0: (laughs) They lose their union card. They're stripped. We burn their tattoos off. (laughs) (laughs) You're out. You're banished. Um, No, I, I saw Sid on the last tour, which was really cool. Uh, Marino, Sebastian Marino always comes out, I I enjoy that guy's company so much Uh, Merrick Gant and I are in touch Uh, Canovino comes out a lot when we play upstate New York actually comes tearing out on the side he's usually enjoying himself too much to play guitar but he's always (laughs) running out doing doing background vocals and I said you're out of time just like when you're in the band (laughs) Uh, Bobby Gustafson and I uh, communicate um, Tim, I'm not in touch with. Uh, Tim just disappeared. Uh, Rat I'm not in touch with. Um, suppose that's about it. I, I, Kamoa I'm not really in touch with either anymore. He's, uh, I, th- I hear he's working in the business uh, as a road manager. Okay, but, but yeah, I mean you know more than fifty percent we're in touch with. Yeah.
4: Okay. You're obviously one of the early Megaforce groups. What are your thoughts of looking back at that label initially years ago, thinking of all the bands? that came through that label early on that meant so much to the thrash scene?
0: Monumental. I mean, monumental. I mean, what what they did with, uh, you know, uh, they, the Megaforce Records, I don't know if you know the story, but you're a Jersey guy, you might. Uh, but they started in a flea market on uh, in Route 18, which is like okay. it's in Central Jersey. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, I mean, there would be Persian rugs in there and, you know, $3 wind-up toys. And there was Megaforce Records, or what was called Rock and Roll Heaven at that time. And what they sold was vinyl uh, and demos uh, of new bands, and vinyl from the new wave of British heavy metal, and it became a hangout place for everybody. And they kind of discovered the thrash era by, uh, I suppose, uh, pursuing Metallica, uh, and then managing Anthrax after that, and then signing us, and then signing Testament. Uh, so they were really instrumental in, in making it happen, and uh, making it happen at uh, a very very high level. I mean, okay. I, I, I love thinking back to those days. Uh, you know, I don't I don't relive them, but I do think back and say, man, that was I don't know how you could have seen it coming because everything was a surprise, and I think every you know new note coming out of a guitar, a new completed song was was just generally new, just unheard of before.
4: Right. You've also worked with a lot of big name producers over the years. Any that stick out to you? Yeah, I mean every
0: one of them has uh, real positive qualities. Uh, from Alex Perialis in the beginning uh, to him, he was really a regimented cat. I mean, really got us working. No, this is the way it's done. Do it again. Do it again. It was marathon-like. But he—that was the tape days, you know. That was the two-inch tape, and right. he would—he uh, would make sure it happened. Uh, you know, almost almost like boot camp-like, uh, but still had his real fun moments. And really love Alex for for getting the best out of us. Uh, a guy like Terry Date was. Uh, Exactly the opposite. Dude, it'll come to you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sweat it. <laughs> I said, get me a beer while you're up. <laughs> that was very uh, who uh of Judas Priest uh, fame and... Uh, You know, done some stuff with uh, with Ozzy. uh, Just did the Anvil record again. Right. Uh, Chris is uh, Chris was one of the funniest guys I ever worked with. I mean, it was my I remember our manager going up there going to me, get out of the studio. You tell two guys who waste all his time telling jokes. So so he was a lot of fun. Colin Richardson, uh, one of the most uh, soft-spoken guys that uh, I ever. Uh, came across, but with the loudest ears, and I I remember he came up to mix a record for us in uh, the late 90s, and we picked him up at the airport, and he said barely a word, and, and then he came in and said, I need a few minutes by myself, and I looked through the glass, and Dee was standing next to me, and there was Colin uh, doing these Pete Townsend whirlies with his hand playing air guitar, listening to the tapes. Right. And I, th- I said to Dee I said, we either made the biggest mistake of our, of our lives or this is going to be fucking great. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no in-between, and it was fucking great. And now just recently, um, Peter Totgren, who is... Um, um, Jesus really making his bones in the thrash industry, and in the, in the metal industry, uh, mixed Ironbound. And we didn't work directly with him. Uh, he mixes uh, with fu- full objectivity in Sweden while we were in Jersey, uh, commenting via the Internet and by phone. I think Peter really uh, freshened up uh, Overkill. It was like having uh, a guy who followed the band all these years as a fan of old-school thrash to mix it. And if you had asked me to do that 10 years ago, I'd say you're crazy. But now with the results of Ironbound, I say, wow, what a great idea to have somebody who's so into it, um, uh, you know, uh, objectively mixing the record. So all of them have their great points.
4: Cool. Okay. When people discuss thrash, obviously they always like to bring up, the supposed Big Four. Do you think journalists and fans are missing out when they mention the uh, Big Four, that they're missing out on, say, bands like Overkill, obviously, Testament, Exodus, Death Angel, and so on? What is what is your take when people bring up the supposed Big Four?
0: Ah, oh, number's a number. <laughs> <laughs> you, I thought you were talking about Overkill, Testament, Exodus, and Death Angel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think, um, I think, obviously, uh, the Big Four, through their popularity, have uh, achieved uh, you know, huge, huge successes um, and have really changed the face of music. I mean, I think it's really fantastic. And I think many, uh, or at least three of the Big Four, uh, really keep their, their feet uh, to some degree in the underground. Um, and I think that that's um, what, what makes them, uh, let's say, an honest representation of what they do. Uh, and I don't think necessarily people miss out. I think it's really based on popularity and success. Okay. Uh, you know, our success is obviously counted in days and years. Um, and, and we've been successful in many other ways. I mean, this is what Dee and I have done for a living since 1987. So, I mean, y- you can't count that out. But I think that, with degree to impact, um, those four bands are are just huge with regard to what they've done. But I do think that there are uh, there's a certain purity when you get to, let's say, the little four or the little eight. you know, when when stuff was happening where, where bands rose above the top with regard to popularity, the Megadeths and, and Slayers, um, there was also shit happening in the underground with Exodus and Creator and Destruction and uh, Overkill and Testament that, um, I don't know, that bonded itself to people's souls to the point where they could never leave it again. Uh, it wasn't based on size. It was based on Mm, full commitment, I suppose. So there's a, there's a great amount of uh, success in that also, I think.
4: Okay, perfect. What was it like working with Randy Blythe from Lamb of God? Oh, he's, he's just an old-school
0: cat, man. He's, he is just so much fun. You know, I'm out in the Gigantour, and, and Dave and I uh, have been friends for a long time, and, and I love uh, Dave Mustaine for... for I don't know. He, you know he, he doesn't just sit there and talk the talk. I mean, he backs it up with his actions. Uh, whether he's agreed with or not, I think he always speaks his mind. Um, and, and, you know, Dave has always said he's been connected to his old school roots. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we got Gigantor. Uh, you know, I got a call. Dude, you know, this is going to be so much fun. You want to do this? <laughs> so I was like, yeah. So it's nice that the big four think of the little four sometimes, too. Right. But, uh, you know, on the, we, we did the first show in... Um, in Boise, Iowa, uh, Idaho. And uh, we had met uh, Willie and um, Chris from Lamb of God the night before. And the following morning after the first show, I was having coffee, and uh, and and I could never keep a, a picture in my head of what Randy looked like because it always changed. You know, he had a shaved head. He had long hair. He had short right. Hair. And he comes up to me, and he had, uh, he was kind of in between with the hair at the time, and he shakes my hand and goes, Randy Blythe, Lamb of God. I said, oh, dude, I love your work. He goes, uh listen, I'm all over that last song you're doing, the one called Old School. I said, right. yeah. He goes, can I? Can you what? Sing it with you? <laughs> I said, that's easy. Where do you want the mic? <laughs> so that's how we became friends. So I think that, you know, the working in the studio with him, that was months after that. And Randy never missed a performance of Old School on that tour. He would stop interviews and come out. I'm sorry, I got to go. I'm on stage right now overkill's playing. <laughs> you
3: know,
0: so. So, uh, you know, I think with that kind of an attitude, uh, that's why it was so simple for me to say, listen, I'm completing this, and I was completing Skull and Bones on the on the road. Uh, I ran it by him. He was like, I'm in. He, he goes, you're, you're 100% right. It would show uh, old school, new school uh, approach to it, and, and let's see if we can melt two voices together and make uh, one monster out of it. So it was really cool working with him.
4: And, and that you guys did, that song absolutely kicks ass. Well, I think, it's, I think it's a great dynamic, um,
0: yeah.
4: you know, the, the, the fact that – and Randy really can sing. Um, you know,
0: I, I think that there's um, uh, a lot of, of old school, real old school guys, traditional guys, uh, you know, throw away the cookie monster type approach to things because they assume it's all the same, and it most certainly is not. There's a lot of guys out there who really can carry a tune, right. and he's one of them. And uh, he can – his range um, – his lows are so low and his highs are higher than mine so to have that kind of a oh my god, that kind of a, a, a dynamic added to, to a song is just, it's monstrous
4: Right, and you actually touch on a good point, I think Randy and other people like I don't know, maybe Jamie Josta, for example, are true followers of metal and they like all types of different metal. You know, people sort of maybe pigeonhole them, as you're saying, into that maybe cookie cutter type thing or cookie monster type thing. I'm sorry. And you actually read interviews or listen to them speak and, you know, they like everything. So it's almost a credit to them to keep their minds open and not sort of say, ah, you know, that's an old band, you know, who gives a shit? You know, no, they're actually really into it
0: i I agree one hundred percent i mean i agree, 100%. I, mean, I, I, agree. I, I think that you know once somebody stops learning or discounts anything else is not cool because it 's not like theirs they 've stopped learning and they've put themselves in a position to stop progressing uh, doesn 't mean their popularity won't be there, but they will, will have never done anything new and I even hear on on the last lamb record with Randy, I mean I hear um, his voice being taken to different uh spaces. And I think that that's, I mean, that's a credit to someone who is open to idea uh, right. and say, I like this and I'm going to try it and I'm going to develop. I mean, I hear some more high-ended stuff where he would sing uh, guttural tones in it. and guttural is really from the gut. Um, mm-hmm. and it starts in the gut and goes from the throat, but he moved his voice uh, on the last record um, to the chest and to the head too. So, I mean, when you, if you're a singer and you understand all those positions of voice, um, I say, my God, he's doing four now instead of two. I mean, it's, right. it's just tremendous to be able to see someone progress like that. And the only way you can do it is by being open-minded.
4: Right, absolutely. You did an album a few years back with Dan Lorenzo from Hades and Nonfiction called The Cursed. How'd The Cursed come about?
0: You know, I, I remember uh, Dan's been hassling me for years to get this done, um, to do something with him, and I've always loved his writing and his riffs. I mean, he's so, he's so dark and brooding, uh, but something about it at the same time has a lively tone to it. Uh, I think he has one of the most unique guitar tones out there. I think Dan Lorenzo sounds like the way we think Sabbath sounds. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's what I always say. I said Dan sounds more like Sabbath than Sabbath does. Right. <laughs> so it, but it's, uh, he's also unique in the, in the fact that what he thinks he can play. If he thinks it, he can play it. And that's how, how quick riffs come out of him. So he would send me riffs all the time. And I remember it was one winter here, and I like uh, motorbike riding. And, and I would ride all through the winter. And uh, we had a really icy winter, and I was complaining about something. And uh, my wife Annette was saying, oh, geez, you, you know, you've to do something. Well, I like to ride the bike. It's just too much ice. Why don't you just do some music or something with Dan or something like that? It's been coming in, and I said, you know something? That's a great idea. And it was just as simple as that. And I I, I grabbed some of the stuff he had sent me. I put it on, um, you know, a little home studio I have, and I sent him some stuff, and he goes, dude, I want to do this. So, I mean, it was just – really that simple and it was only supposed to be a garage band for four guys to have a little bit of fun with uh but uh obviously got interest because we started talking it up because we were excited about it
4: right um is there any um opportunity of maybe you guys doing a few more shows in the future or maybe doing another album
0: i never say never i mean that's uh that was such a fun project for me i mean i i had a smile on my face through that whole thing that was you know, that was about Heineken and Pin Up Girls. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was, and, and you know what it was? I, I said, isn't it funny? It's like four middle-aged guys hanging around the smoke-filled room, you know, with Miss May up and, and and a few empty beer bottles on the floor. And all of a sudden, we all feel 17 again. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and that's what it's all about, right? isn 't it really <laughs> I mean, when, you, when you really when push
0: comes to shove isn 't it about uh doing what you want and feeling that way about you know the things that that you know just put a smile on your face so i mean it's uh there 's a distinct possibility he still sends me things i think hoping that i 'll be reignited and I am uh, but I think ironbound is really the the word of the day it's uh, it 's rolling like uh you know the momentum that it's getting right now is something that we haven't had in years, and I think that that's uh, that's unique and I want to make sure that this uh you know if we can take this into the stratosphere i will
4: okay uh one last band that I want to ask you about the name of the band is Turtlehead. How did that all come about <laughs> uh
0: John astronomy and uh the talking metal guys when they were a fuse uh. Got a hold of me, you know, through somebody. Will you come down, do an interview, uh, do a song with us? Sure. What do you want to do? And they said, you pick. I said, well, we were doing Motorhead's Overkill in uh, our set. And uh, what about that? Great, we're in it. And I, then I got an email a few days later. We also got Mike Portnoy and Frank Bello. Well, Mike Portnoy has been kind of a – he's not a closet thrashhead. He's like way out in front kind of a right. thrashhead. And back in uh, 04, uh our drummer Tim Mallory had a personal family problem and had to bail out of a benefit uh, at the last minute. And Mike Portnoy filled in on an hour's rehearsal. Sure. What do you want to play? I know the first floor records. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I remember him and Dee Dee sitting in the, they were sitting in the dressing room before the gig, and Mike's playing on like some – you know, one of those those chairs that you see at a uh, you know at at like uh, you know the VFW hall or something. You know, like right. <laughs> A little red padded chair, and he's going through the stuff with Dee Dee, and I'm just shaking my head, laughing. And now after that, he starts showing up at our shows, huh. and I'm like, uh, I get a call, and it's like, hey, put me on a list. Anybody else? No, just me and my sticks. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, tomorrow night I'm playing with a band uh, in Manhattan. Uh, they're called Hale. Okay. Do you know this band?
4: Uh, yeah, Hale is with uh, Tim Ripper Owens, uh, Portnoy is a part of it as well, Andreas Kisser, and yeah. David Ellison. That's
0: correct. And also Frank Bella will come down and sit in, and so will I, and Turtlehead will be re- reunited with Andres. <laughs> <laughs> So it's going to be fun. But that was the, that was the turtle head story. Hey, what do you say? Be careful because Mars attacks. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned.
4: A little, give a little. Coming off of Ironbound, the great, great album by Overkill. Check it out, and as I always say, support the bands you love. Go out and purchase the album, or purchase some songs off of iTunes, whatever it is. You know, just give back to the bands. If you know, I understand why people download stuff, but uh, you know, if if you feel that the job is well done, or you think that the bands have done. Good job with the album or you like the tunes, support them. You know, I understand that year after year maybe you know you're sick and tired of buying stuff that only had one decent song, but nowadays, you know, you can go out and buy two, three songs off of an album and still help support all this. So go out and do that. Um, I wanna thank Jose from Bonded by Blood, Toledo from um, over to Rake, Anthony from Earrake as well. I want to thank Blitz, obviously, from Overkill, Phil Meese from E1 for helping all of this come together uh, with this episode. Uh, I want to also remind you to check out the Mars Attacks, uh, MySpace group, or I'm sorry, MySpace page, Facebook group, and Twitter. Uh, Also check out the Spanish podcast that I do. If you understand Spanish or just want to listen to some tracks. uh, It's Fusion Sonica. You can check that out at FusionSonica.com. In any event, anything related to Mars Attacks, you can find out at MarsAttacksRadio.com. If everything goes as planned, expect to hear an interview with John Bush next week. Uh, Again, one of these interviews that I conducted (laughs) uh, over a month ago that i'm just getting around to putting out and i do have to apologize to john vince over at metal blades and um there are two other groups uh whose interviews are going to be coming out shortly after that uh same deal should have been out a little sooner but again you know my apologies um, we're gonna do the best that we can to make up for things and you know go out and check out all these bands that i have on the podcast um Aside from that, uh, check out Metal Army America. I have a bunch of reviews up there, different Q&A interviews, working with them to help bring content to their website. Also helping out the guys at Talking Metal with their wire section. I haven't been posting much lately, but intend on doing so shortly, trying to get you know things back in order. And uh, that's pretty much it. What we're going to do is we're going to leave you with a great, great track. Off of Ironbound, the name of the track is "Bring Me the Night." It was the first single off of the album. A very kick-ass song, especially to see live uh, in concert. Uh, again, next week uh, expect to hear the John Bush interview. And uh, in any event, check out Marsattacks.Marsattacksradio.com. Excuse me uh, for any news or information regarding the show or any of the other outlets that I mentioned. Any of the other social networks. So. Uh, thanks again for listening, and see you next time right here on Mars Attacks.